Those who escaped the initial onslaught of gunfire ran for cover and reached out to loved ones. <laughs> Caitlin Carbacci was at work yesterday when her younger sister, Hannah, texted in a panic. Caitlin, there is a shooter on campus. I am not joking. Call 911, please. Hannah, what? Are you serious? Run. Caitlin, I am not joking. They just shot through the walls. Someone in my class is injured. I am not joking. Call mom and dad. Folks, um, today's going to be a hard uh, podcast to, to walk through. And I just want to tell you on the front end, this is all about active violence. And I have a question for you. Do you know what to do if you're in the middle of an active violent incident? And then more importantly, do you know what to do when the police arrive? Because both of those things are life and death skills, understanding how to survive until they get there and then understanding exactly what to do when they get there. So that's what today's podcast is all about. Active violence, what to do when the police arrive. Folks, I got to tell you, today's podcast is a very special podcast. We've said all along, our team is in this to equip you and your family how to stay alive. And today we are blessed beyond measure because um, we've got Scott with us. Um, Scott is a um, police officer active. Uh, I'll let him tell you a little bit about himself. Um, but Scott's a, a guy who had to make those decisions. Am I going to go into the middle of a pure hellish environment at, uh, at, at the Parkland incident? And he didn't hesitate. He went in. He did um, way beyond what you know, could be expected of anybody and put his life on the line. And I'm thankful for the privilege and the honor of having Scott on today. And uh, so, Scott, if you would, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, good morning, Tim. Thank you for uh, for talking to me. I know this is a serious subject for sure. Um, so my name is Scott Myers. I'm a captain with the Coral Springs Police Department. Um, I've been a police officer for nearly 27 years. And uh, I've been with Coral Springs for 25 years. Um, I, you know, Scott, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and I know um, right now you're overseeing uh, investigations. Yeah, Is that right? right? Yeah. So I was recently promoted to captain. I oversee our criminal investigations component. So that's all the detectives and crime scene and, and crime analysts. So that that part of law enforcement that's behind the scenes sometimes uh, trying to solve the, the major crimes. And, and Scott, I, I'm, I know you and I were talking off. I, I'm going to go here for me. Uh, having been a police officer, uh, I was shocked at the video I saw last night in Memphis. Um, there's no excuse for, for that. Uh, we always say, Hey, there's more to the story, but I don't care what the rest of the story is from what I saw. Um, you know, and as a use enforce instructor, um, I'm just thankful that swift action was taken uh, to ensure that we're all under the law because there's nobody above the law. And um, I, I think the thing that breaks my heart is, you know, it takes the focus off of heroes like you, you know, that 
that do what you do every day faithfully and without a lot of accolades and uh, especially uh, on the morning of uh, the Parkland incident. And if you would, can you just share a little bit about how that went down? Sure. So my background is primarily um, tactical and investigatory in nature. So I was on SWAT for 20 years. I was a sniper for the last five years. Uh, during that period, I was on the U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force for uh, several years. Uh, I was on the FBI's wow. Violent Robbery um, Task Force. So I, uh, most of my career has been operational and tactical in nature. Uh, at the time of the MSD incident, I was a sergeant over our Crimes Against Persons unit, so the unit that investigates robbery, homicide, um, all death investigations. So uh, I was, you know, I was a sergeant overseeing five detectives and a couple civilians, and uh, I was actually at my desk in the police station when the uh, when the incident occurred. Wow. And you responded immediately and, and you made yep. entry. Yep. Uh, is, yep. So, um, myself and basically everybody from my department, uh, got to the school as quickly as we could. Uh, it, the school is just outside our borders. So Coral Springs bar borders with Parkland and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas mm -hmm. is literally, um, on the edge of our city, just outside of our city. Uh, one of the, you know, most incredible things that I saw was everybody flooding out of our police station, uh, running, getting in their cars and driving like maniacs, uh, to get up to the school. Um, I was, uh, one of our first, uh, officers to get there, not the first. Um, we had a school resource officer that, that got on campus before me. And in fact, uh, he was giving us real-time information, which was incredibly helpful for me because he was able to direct me and, and a few other people uh, to the actual building where the shooting was occurring. Uh, we were being told that it was still an active incident as I was uh, arriving. And and frankly, um, I was having a hard time believing that it really was, you know, an active shooter. I thought, you know, maybe BSO was conducting some training or, you know, this was um, some miscommunication. Um, but as I was pulling up, um, I was being told it's an active shooter and I could see, um, a person deceased right outside the building. So at that point, uh, it was very clear to me God. that this was in fact, you know, the real deal. Scott, and, uh, I don't, I don't want to get into the politics of BSO, uh, but I, I, I do want to stress, um, that you and your team didn't hesitate. You immediately, um, made entry and, um, you did. Yeah. So, I mean, basically as I was pulling up, um, I had at the time I was on SWAT and I was a sniper, I had, you know, a rifle and a, a sniper rifle in the trunk of my, my police car locked up in a lockbox, And I, I didn't feel like I even had enough time to open up my trunk and get that gear out. So, um, I ran in with just my handgun uh, knowing full well that going to a gunfight, you really don't want to go with your handgun. You want to use your handgun as your secondary weapon. You want to have a long gun as your primary weapon. But I didn't feel like I had enough time to to spend, you know, trying to shuffle through 
uh, you know, on my gear in my trunk. So I just went with my handgun and, uh, you know, and that's how I proceeded to, to clear the building. Scott, I, I'm sorry. I'm speechless. Uh, having been a Marine, um, understanding firearms instructor, tactical guy like you, um, that was an incredibly heroic thing you did because we all know that rifles win in a gunfight with a handgun, but you chose to go in and make a difference. And I know every parent that hears that this podcast is going to say, wow, that's the level of courage and dedication that our police officers have. So thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for leading from the front. You know, that's one thing Marines always say, you can't lead from the rear. You got to lead from the front. And thank you for that incredible heroic leadership. And I don't want to relive it. I know most of you guys having been through uh, traumatic events myself, most of, of, of us don't want to relive the details, but when you got inside and you saw um, the carnage, what, what first was the reaction of students to you? Uh, we, I experienced the whole gamut of responses from the kids and the teachers. Um, initially, uh, when we made entry, it was myself and two other guys. We were the first ones in the school. And, um, at that point we were really just on a kill mission, um, to put it bluntly, uh, right. our plan, our, our, our plan, you know, we said, look, we got to find the bad guy and we got to neutralize him. We got to take him out. And, uh, so the three of us made entry. Uh, trying to find him. Uh, ultimately, and, and we didn't know this at the time, uh, the killer had exited the school a few minutes before we got there. So, um, but we were getting information that he was still in the building. Uh, basically, we were watching the video feed. Law enforcement was watching the video feed from another building inside the school. The problem, the, the video was on a delay. So they were thinking they were watching uh, what was happening in real time. And, and in fact, they were watching, um, you know, what had happened about 10 minutes prior. So uh, wow. as we were going into the school, we were thinking he was still in the school. In fact, they were telling us where he was in the school. So we were going to confront him uh, because the first thing we needed to do was, you know, end the threat. And then once you end the threat, uh, then you can start rescuing people and you can start providing first aid and, and going through all of those, you know, steps. Um, once we were able to determine, and it took, you know, quite a while to figure that out, um, you know, my team or, or the team of guys that I was with went to find him, find the killer, um, while other, you know, Coral Springs police officers and, and ultimately um, BSO deputies and, and, and officers from other jurisdictions um, started rescuing kids on the first floor and providing first aid. There were a lot of injured um, and deceased on the first floor. Uh, we, you know, we were somewhere on the second floor when we, you know, eventually came to the realization that the suspect had exited the building. There was no longer a threat. And our mission transitioned into, you know, a rescue operation because there were people injured on the first floor and the third floor. So um, we started uh, searching for injured and, res you know, and rescuing them, providing first aid. And uh, it was interesting because basically every, you know, every living person that we came into contact was barricaded in a classroom. So, uh, you know, some of the classrooms, when we made contact, uh, somebody would open the door and, uh, you know, and we'd be able to ascertain what was going on inside that classroom. 
but the vast majority of the classrooms uh, were barricaded and remained barricaded and nobody would you know give us any assistance uh, they didn't know if we were a friend or foe so we had to breach basically every classroom in that building wow. so uh wow. which was a very challenging prospect um and then it was also interesting because you would go, you would breach a classroom door and you didn't know what you were going to face on the other side of that door. Um, in some instances, the class was completely um, helpful and basically uh, happy to see us. And other classrooms, um, there were, you know, students and teachers ready to fight to the death and they were throwing things at us and they had barricaded behind the door with, with, desks and, and chairs and were, um, were ready for violence. So it was interesting. We, we didn't know what was going to be behind each door. Um, and once we were able to communicate and convince the people that were in the classroom that we were the good guys, um, you know, then obviously we would get, um, you know, a better response. But um, each classroom was different. Scott, this is amazing to me. Um, it, it, it really, I, I had no understanding that this occurred it, it 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 really brings home the importance of training in advance doesn't it and under stressful circumstances because it, if the teachers didn't know how to recognize you then um that's a problem because the students are gonna they're gonna default immediately to the leadership of of the students uh I'm, i mean of the teachers so that is fascinating. Scott, how did the students that you came in contact, how did they respond? I know you said kind of a range. What, what was that range of response? Um, from complete hysterical, um, unconsolable, uh, traumatized, shock, couldn't speak, couldn't even stand, um, to very calm, cool, collected, rendering aid to their classmates and teachers wow. that were injured. So we wow. saw the entire gamut, um, heroism, bravery, uh, children that shielded, you know, their injured friends from, you know, further harm, um, to people that, you know, came up and were hugging us and, you know, wouldn't let us go, uh, you know, as we were trying to, you know, put them in safe locations or escort them out of the school. So we saw, you know, Every, I mean, just such a wide range of, of emotions and responses. There was no consistency. Uh, wow. In fact, a couple of days after the incident, we, um, you know, we met up with a, a lot of the survivors and one of the teachers, she said she thought the whole thing from start to finish was training, was a, a, an active shooter training put on by the school board. And she didn't realize it was real. Even though she had stepped over deceased children in the hallway on her way out of the building, she thought they were actors and actresses. Oh and uh, until she saw the helicopters outside of the school um, and another teacher explained to her what had happened, she went through this entire incident thinking that this was, you know, just a drill. So you get uh, you don't know what you're going to see on the other side of the door when you're, you know, making entry into into something like this. Scott, let me ask you, what commands were you giving at the time? Because I, I think it's a, a really important point that the shooter, I'm not going to name his name because he doesn't deserve to be named, but he actually had integrated into the student population and exited, as I understand the facts, 
Um, so now you guys have to deal with, is he amongst those that we're actually dealing with? And then obviously no rifle, but maybe he's armed. And so what kind of commands were you giving as you're, you know, going through the building and encountering large numbers of people? Yeah, we, we didn't encounter people outside of classrooms, um, that were, okay. that were alive. So basically everybody that we were encountering, uh, were in classrooms and, you know, they, the, the commands were pretty straightforward. Um, you know, let me see your hands, you know, put your hands up, keep your hands up. Uh, I think yeah. as the, as the incident unfolded and more and more information became uh, clear, it, it became more and more clear that our suspect had exited the building and um, was no longer in the building. When we became confident that that information was accurate, um, we were less worried about, you know, him, you know, another bad guy being in with the students. But initially, when we didn't know where the suspect was and we thought perhaps, um, you know, he had concealed himself in a classroom, we were asking every teacher in every classroom, are these all your students? Were they here? Um, Great you know, question. yeah. So Great we were question. trying to identify, you know, you know, had the wolf become, you know, concealed uh, as a sheep, so to speak. And, uh, uh, that we transitioned away from that pretty quickly into, um, just trying to control everybody, put them in safe places and get render aid. I mean, while we were still looking for the bad guy, we were rendering aid and we were transporting, you know, um, injured, uh, some of the most heroic things I saw, um, and I didn't even see some of it firsthand. Some of it was just, you know, you know, watching the video later, um, what some police officers were doing, not knowing if the bad guy was still in the building, thinking the bad guy was still in the building, still carrying the injured out, putting themselves in harm's way, or what we thought was harm's way. Um, just amazing, amazing stuff that we were, you know, that, that I witnessed that day. Wow. I, you know, Scott, I, there's so many takeaways, you know, especially for teachers, you know, if, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this podcast, um, you, you, you gotta have that plan inside of the classroom. Um, and, and that would be a great thing to ask your administrators. How do we identify the real police? What do we do with, you know, the students, um, that are, are, are still in, you know, obviously in the intro video, they, um, the student was saying that he was shooting through the walls into the classroom. So very likely that you had in the video said that, that students were wounded even inside of the classrooms. Um, so that, that really takes it to a whole new level in terms of the urgency to get in that classroom and, um, and treat them. So that, that is profoundly um, important. I think that teachers own uh, and we do a fair amount of consulting with schools and training and assessments. And that is a, seems to continue in our country to be a gap that they get the overall plan, but in terms of the tactical classroom plan that they own, what do you do? You know, important questions, important issues uh, come out of that. And uh, wow, profoundly uh this, this is amazing to hear your story. Scott, what would you say, because it's not just schools now, it's movie theaters, it's the publics, it's on and on and on we go. As a matter of fact, one statistic uh, for 2022 uh, said that there were 619 active violence incidents across the country. That's 
mind numbing. Um, we recently did a, a podcast with one of your colleagues, uh, Jerry, uh, where we were talking about the first, you know, grader shooting his teacher. Well, welcome to a whole new dynamic, but obviously different venues, different stories, but the same types of things are happening. So if you're talking to that mom who is taking her kids into the grocery store and God forbid something bad happens and, or the dad, or, you know, even, even the young people now, you know, what, what are the things that you would say to them? Hey, listen, when the police get there, it's really important that you do the following. Well, how would you advise them? Well, it's a good question. And I, I think a lot of this is, is going to be mental. Um, I think staying calm and being able to calm yourself a, a little bit is going to make a huge difference. So mm-hmm. when the incident is, is occurring uh, or, or, or shortly thereafter, this is probably going to be the, the most traumatic experience this person will face in their lifetime. I mean, talking to, you know, law enforcement, military, most people don't get into an event like this. Uh, Most police officers don't, you know, have an event like this, fortunately. So you are going to be stressed out. I, I, you know, I just can't explain how much stress, uh, how much adrenaline. So trying to calm yourself down, taking a deep breath, clearing your mind a little bit so that you can add value. So the first thing I would say is try and calm down, try and take a deep breath, relax your breathing and be able to focus on what's coming next. And what's coming next um, is probably going to be different for every situation. Law mm-hmm. enforcement going into a scenario where they know what they've got is going to be different than law enforcement going into a situation where they don't know what they have. Mm-hmm. So you, you, I can't tell you what the police are going to tell you to do because it might be very different if they've already uh, apprehended the bad guy, you know, they may just be looking to help you and, and provide first aid and, and, and whatnot. If they haven't found the bad guy, they may think you're the bad guy. So, yeah. the, so I think after, you know, the first thing of remaining calm is you've got to follow whatever orders come from law enforcement immediately. If they say, get on the ground, get on the ground. If they say, raise your hands, raise your hands. Don't, this is not the time to question law enforcement. Because right. you don't know what they know, and they don't know necessarily who you are. So you could still be a threat, um, even if you're a mom, even if you're a child, uh, even if you're a dad. So I think, you know, following instructions and being calm and level-headed enough to be able to do that, if you're just hysterical screaming, uh, we don't know, you know, we have to expend a lot of resources dealing with you, um, and, and that could, you know, keep your, you know, you in harm's way that much longer. Wow. That's such good advice, Scott. Um, one of the things that, um, Fletzy did when, when I was assigned there, the federal law enforcement training centers, they did a study on human performance and it was part of the instruction block for, um, use of force instructors. Why? Because that mental physical dynamic for law enforcement as well, uh, is so critical to understand and prepare for. The study itself demonstrated that about 90% of the skills you need 
in that elevated crisis, heart beatings at your heart's beating out of your chest, one to five gallons, just like that. Your adrenaline's flowing. The single greatest thing that you must be able to control is your mind because 90% of your skill levels are mental. And so that just really brings it home that, uh, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast in terms of mental and physical preparation prior to the event. But, uh, you know, the, the practical takeaway, you know, that we encourage folks is to ask yourself well in advance when it's peaceful. What would I do if create that mental picture? Let your subconscious mind process and create emergency files before it ever happens. So that is so so good. Um, Scott, it, it, we live in Florida, <laughs> uh, which I love, by the way. I love being free. I love Florida. Um, we also have a lot of guns. And now you got an active violence situation where maybe a concealed carrier is there. Um, what advice would you give to that concealed carrier? And I know it does depend on the facts. Is the active shooter still there? Is he but um, what advice would you give to them once they hear the sirens and they know uniforms are on scene? What would you say to them? Be very prepared to disarm yourself. Okay. So put the gun, be prepared to put that gun down, uh, holster it. Um, because if law enforcement is still hunting for the bad guy and, you know, the first thing they see is an unknown person uh, pointing a gun at them or waving a gun around, uh, bad things can happen. And it, it's not necessarily intentional. It could be accidental. But at the end of the day, uh, I would try and prevent yourself from being put in harm's way. Uh, so uh, as soon as you start hearing commands, police, 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 uh, I would be putting the gun down, putting the hands up and complying, no, no arguing. And we even tell, you know, law enforcement, if you're in an unmarked capacity, in a plainclothes capacity, um, you, you need to be prepared to disarm yourself until you can, you know, educate the other police officers who you might be. So clearly a, a, a civilian, um, you could run into that, that issue. Um, of course, I would also say, you know, you, you need to protect yourself. So there's a balance there. Um, but it, everything's going to happen fast. It's going to happen a lot faster than you think. So, you know, maybe laying down and, and putting your hands, you know, out to your sides as, you know, law enforcement is getting there isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, again, and, it's and case, case, you know. Would you encourage them to say out of fear that they may think you're the shooter, um, I, you know, with your hands out showing up? I, I have a concealed weapon. I'm a legal concealed carrier. Um, yeah, and, and that might help. That, yeah. that might help. But the reality is the um, the officers are going to be under so much stress. Yeah. Um, they're going to be moving so aggressively, hopefully. And, uh, you know, I don't know that they're going to even be listening. Right. They wow. should be. It's but, a good but, point. Yeah. But, you know, and and what, what can they hear if they've just been in a, in a shooting? You know, you know what what the auditory processing skills are. Um, but hearing is one of the first to go. So, uh I wouldn't rely on a lot of verbal communication early on. I, you know, I would want my hands to be, you know, not a threat. And, you know, I've told my wife, if, you know, if we're in the mall and there's an active shooter and I have to go after that active shooter, um, 
you can let law enforcement know, hey, my husband is wearing, you know, T-shirt and shorts. Um, he's a police officer and he's got a gun. That's that information is really not going to get relayed to the first responding officers. And if it is for them to be able to process it and recognize that I'm a good guy, not a bad guy is really challenging. So uh, for for all you concealed carry people, be prepared to put the gun down and, you know, and show them your hands because it, it's going to be fast. Scott, this, this is so fascinating. Thank you for doing this. This is really fascinating. And I, I'm going to, I got to ask a couple more questions because you're one of the few guys I've, I've ever talked to that's actually been there, done that. Talk to me about what was going on in your mind. Now, you're one of the most trained people I know. You know, you've been with the FBI, JTTF, you know, the marshals, they all provide uniform training on entries and all that. So you're a highly skilled, highly trained person. Talk to me about how you were processing in the midst, because to me, it sounds like you had many minutes, not just seconds of not knowing, hey, the shooter is is not here. Talk to me about what you were experiencing. Well, it was, you know, managing stress. I, I mm -hmm. think I was fortunate that I did have a lot of training and I also had a lot of experience, um, you know, in, in law enforcement and SWAT. So, um, controlling, you know, my, my fear, controlling my stress, um, pushing through it and, you know, convincing myself that, you know, I was going to be, you know, the winner in this situation. I was going to be better with my handgun than, you know, some wackadoo with a rifle. Um, right. And, and, and also recognizing that, you know, if, if he's shooting at me, he's not shooting at an innocent child and being willing to, you know, to do that. And a lot of us did, you know, and, and a lot of us around the country do, and, you know, there's, but not everybody will. And that's just the reality, you know, you're dealing with humans and imperfections and, you know, I think our department provides us with amazing training. I think we were very well trained and very well prepared. And, you know, we had a lot of tactical, aggressive guys and girls that were working that day. And, you know, I think it, it was, you know, we did a, you know, I thought we did a really, really good job. You, you did a fabulous we job. <laughs> you know, and Extraordinary. We yeah. And I'll tell you, and we weren't perfect either. You know, sure. hindsight being 2020, there are things that, you know, all of us would have done differently. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I, the, the one common, you know, theme here is it's very aggressive. It's very fast. And, you know, you have to be able to you stay in control. And I, I think that goes for the, you know, the kid, there were kids in there that were providing first aid and doing CPR and, and, and bandaging injured students and calm, cool, collected. They were giving us information, real time information as we were running classrooms. So, you know, so. People have that ability. You don't have to necessarily have, you know, SWAT training to be calm, cool and collected. Some some people can, you know, are, you know, are just better at it than others. You know, Scott, that's such a tremendous point, too, because, you know, it used to be in times past that, oh, well, they're just teenagers or they're just kids. And yet you see repeatedly they're very aware of what's going on in our country. They're not stupid. As a matter of fact, I think in some cases they're a lot smarter than we are because they see what's going on and they're staying current. Um, courses like Stop the Bleed, um, you know, it, it, it's, I, I never thought I'd ever say this, but, you know, maybe even having a Cat 5 tourniquet 
you know, in their, you know, book bag, uh, maybe even considering some pressure bandaging, you know, um, it, it, because you're right in the middle, I think, uh, we, we just had a trauma surgeon on and, uh, he was talking about, uh, I'm sorry, ER doc. And he was talking about that, you know, you hit a, an artery, you, you know, this and, and I, that you, you got about two, two and a half minutes before your blood levels are, are gone. So having the ability to pull that tourniquet out, having the ability to, um, logically, calmly execute the task. I have to ask you the question though, because it's so important for people. You mentioned that you were having to process the stress and you were having to stay in the game. I, I've been in similar situations. Tell people that have no clue what you're talking about. Tell them what that means. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's almost like talking to yourself and and saying, okay, you know, this is where we're at. This is what I got to do. A lot of it's, you know, kind of falling back on the training. But, you know, there is a percentage of it that is, you know, making sure that you you're taking deep breaths and you're not hyperventilating and that you're, you know, kind of calming your, your heart rate. Um, you know, making sure that you're communicating with your, you know, your coworkers, uh, and, you know, you're, you're processing so much, you know, originally, you know, I thought he was on the third floor. There was, I thought he was, a, you know, acting like a sniper. So communicating that to, to other, you know, officers, um, forcing yourself to stay level-headed and and not you know become a liability uh you know it i think over time you get better at it i think you know it becomes less you know something that you have to do consciously but you still kind of do have to think about it and, and at least i do uh, and, and and work on it and 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 make sure that you you know, you're doing the right things and, and kind of take a, uh, a snapshot of yourself and say, okay, are all my systems, you know, functioning, you know, properly? Uh, am I yelling? Am I screaming? Am I whispering when I should be whispering? Am I using hand signals and, you know, going through all of that and you're doing that kind of real time. Uh, and I, I, you know, nothing substitutes experience and, and practice, but, you know, for all of us that day, that was our, all of our first times going through something like that. We've gone through training but right. not, not, not the same thing. And I pray you never have to again, brother. That uh, one thing I really want to highlight, though, because it is so important, and we talk about this in our hu human performance training, was you said you were going to win that fight, words to that effect. You were not going to let that guy win. And I, I think that dominant thinking really does carry you through the fear vacuum that you can get caught in. And um, I, I love that you highlighted that because at the end of the day, um, you were very intentional on saying, I have one objective and that's to stop him from killing students. That's going to, that's going to be my, I don't care what the price is. I'm going to do that. And um, thank you for, for even bringing that out. Cause I think a lot of people, um, they get it. They're going to be under stress. They get it. They're going to breathe. They get it. But, but really maybe the most important, this is really drilled home in the Marine Corps. We don't lose. You don't lose. I don't care if there's a company out there and I've got a squad, we're going to win. Why? Because we're Marines and we know we're going to win. Uh, but that mindset really can be with that mom. It can be with that, you know, that dad trying to protect his family. You know, I, I, 
I don't think there's anybody more fiercely committed to defending their family than a dad or mom recognizing their children are helpless without them. So, uh, wow, Scott, I'll, I'll tell you, this has been the most powerful podcast I've, I've done. And I, I, I'm very grateful um, for your time and for your experience and mostly for your commitment to keep us safe. And what you and your team did at Parkland that day is um, amazing. And I would hope, you know, at a time where everybody, uh, not everybody, many people are questioning law enforcement. I, I, I just, uh, I want to go on record by saying I am grateful. My family's grateful for what you do every day. We know law enforcement's not perfect. I worked in internal affairs. I know that. But at the end of the day, um, most of the folks I worked with and I believe you're working with are committed, dedicated, trained professionals that are willing to run in and, and do what needs to be done. So, so thank you. I, one more thing before I let you go though, because, uh, I know that you being the innovative tactical guy that you are, uh, developed, um, I think you call it the Scott lock, right? Right. Um, at a time where I think the latest, I don't even know, I'm not even going to guess how many guns I've heard 10 million in the last several months, whatever. A lot of those are ARs and because it's a very effective, simple weapon and you've developed a lock for that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess shameless plug here, right? Um, yeah, no, this is, I, I want everybody to get this because why, it, you know, it keeps that weapon safe. And, um, you know, we in the, in the Secret Service had a horrible experience. One of our officers came off a midnight shift, put his gun up high, three year old got it and, uh, ended his life. So uh, this is not a shameless plug. This is thank you for doing this. We need more gun safety, safe guns. And so tell us about it. Well, when the dust settled from MSD, um, one of the issues that I couldn't wrap my head around <clears throat> was that I ran into uh, the school with just my handgun, even though, hmm. you know, I was, you know, I had a rifle almost accessible. So um, I started researching, you know, what products were out there that would allow me to keep the AR in the car with me. So that I wouldn't have to go to the trunk and go through a lockbox, and you know, if the AR was in the in the front seat with me, uh, I would have I would have used it. Yeah. Uh, but there was there was no product out there uh, that would secure the AR so that somebody couldn't just break the the window of your car and and walk away with it. Uh, that was portable. So um, I got with you know another police officer. Scott Levin over at the department canine guy. And, uh, I, I told him there has to be a way to do this. And we kind of sketched some ideas out and we created a, a portable locking system for the air. So you can wrap a cable or a chain around your C track and then secure this device, this device to your, your rifle. And you can lock it up anywhere you, anywhere you can put a cable or a chain. So it was initially designed for detectives and, and people in unmarked police cars that didn't have a system to secure their rifle. Because mm -hmm. if you're on surveillance, you've got your AR 15 with you. But if you have to go to the bathroom or you, you want to grab, you know, a burger at McDonald's, you know, you, you don't want to carry it in. <laughs> you can't carry it in and you don't want to yeah. put it in the trunk and everybody see you, 
you know, you know, running your rifle around yeah. into your gun, right? You want to be able to leave it in your car locked, you know, so uh, there was no product. So we, we designed it, we developed it. Uh, last, uh, last year, we actually had it patented. Uh, we started a wow. small business. Wow. Um, it's like my little baby. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we've been, we've been selling primarily to law enforcement agencies, uh, around the country, uh, the, the marshals, secret service, DEA, um, uh, a ton of local jurisdictions, uh, FDLE, et cetera. Uh, and this is a great way to, you know, secure your rifle. Uh, we are selling it to civilians. Um, if a civilian, uh, finds a need for it, uh, then great. Uh, it does prevent access to the trigger and stuff like that. So you, you couldn't accidentally, um, pull the trigger. Uh, you know, if a child, uh, stumbled across it. So mm-hmm. if you didn't have a big safe for your rifle, uh, this would solve that, you know, issue as well. So, so we're going to put a link, um, that you gave me. We're going to put that down below. Uh, and, and, um, the other thing is, um, I want to get one in my hands because I know the owner of, uh, and I know we've been trying to do this, but I know the owner uh, of Okeechobee Shooting Sports, really, really great guy. And um, he he would be very interested in something like this as, you know, AR sales are going through the roof. People are afraid that they're going to get turned off. So the more you know, people think that guns are going to be limited the more guns they buy. So um, yeah, a, lot, a lot of people are buying guns and then they don't think about how do they secure it, yeah. you know, and, and they yeah. want to, you know, in, yeah. in many instances. So yeah, this is a great option. I mean, it's just, it, it's, what's a, what's a general price point for the public on that? Um, it's small. Awesome. I mean, wow. Amazing. Look at that. Yeah. What would the, um, what would, what would a general price point be for something? I mean, are we talking 300 or are we talking, you know? Yeah, probably okay. in the, in the, in the name of, in the nature of 300 depends on the okay. configuration chain. Maybe the best kind. 300 bucks you ever invested in your life if it saves your kid or, you know, um, you know, obviously gun safety is, I, I'm, I know you are too. I, I'm just huge. And, and I think Florida law requires it, right? You got, sure. you got to lock your guns up. So, yeah, Scott, what a an honor it's been to talk to you today. I, I just really, um, I've learned so much, and I I, I want to reserve the right to to get with you again if if you'd be open to that, um, because sure. your wisdom today is is profound in so many ways. Um, because you talked about the mental, the physical, and the tactical pieces to a, what you experience, but also what people are going to experience, um, you know, if they're involved in it. And I'd like to, at, at some point, get you back. Um, I know you're busy. I know you have a full-time job. You're kind of important to, you know, to exercise that, that, those responsibilities. But I want to, on behalf of everybody, um, as we're growing this podcast, our intent is to bring really dynamic security solutions to people by experts and and you certainly are both so thank you for your time today um it it really has been an honor hearing your story thank you for what you did for so many people and more importantly what you're doing every day and you have done for 27 plus years to serve us so uh, our prayers are with you our thoughts um as you go out and do what you uh do every day and know that there are a whole lot of people 
that are with you or praying for you, support you uh, as you try to keep us safe. And uh, I think sometimes you guys don't hear it enough. So thank you again, my friend. It's an honor. And uh, I'm I'm coming after you. Yeah, I'm coming after you. All right, brother. Be safe out there.